Welcome to One Man's Opinion, brought to you by the Elite Fantasy, Fantasy Guru, and EliteSportsBetting.com. And now, here's your host, Jeff Manns. All right, welcome in everybody, another episode of the podcast that's sweeping the nation and climbing the charts. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's growing now in more places than ever. Welcome to One Man's Opinion, everybody. Thank you for downloading, subscribing, liking, favoriting, commenting, the whole deal, wherever you get this podcast. Appreciate each and every one of you uh, greatly, and I appreciate our new partners at Stitcher, Pandora and the SXM app. Uh, welcome to those Sirius XM folks who have listened to the show for a while who never knew I even had a podcast. Who's to know this stuff? Like, who really does know? For those of you just stumbling upon it, maybe you, we showed up in a search engine or something like that. This is One Man's Opinion. I am Jeff Manns. You can hear me weekday afternoons on Sirius XM's Fantasy Sports Radio Channel 87. I host the Elite Sports Show Every weekday afternoon from 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. Also, Sirius XM Fantasy Football pregame show with Bob Harris. Sunday mornings throughout the NFL regular season as well. I'm part owner and chief content officer over at FantasyGuru.com. We do everything over there. We do seasonal fantasy sports, baseball, football, basketball, daily fantasy sports, the big three. Plus, we do NHL and PGA and NASCAR and soccer and MMA and every single possible thing you could possibly think of in your life. NHL, of course. And uh, um, did I say soccer, esports? Like, we got all that over there. Also, data. We do media, we have podcasts, we have live streams, we have a 24-7 Discord where you can chat with our team, including myself, throughout any sport, any game, whatever you play daily, seasonal, betting, whatever it is, we are there for you. FantasyGuru.com. As a matter of fact, if uh, you know it's post-Halloween, I got some fun Halloween stories to share with you, but if you want to get in, we just lowered our prices for the rest of the NFL season and for NBA and NHL season. If you want to get this MVP package, which includes everything, if you're an NFL subscriber, just email us support at fantasyguru.com. We did a one day promo on Halloween night, spooky 30, got 30% off the already lowered price, and then it, it's gone. Just email them. All right, support at fantasyguru.com and tell them you want that applied and get 30% off. It's to sign up. Uh, or to upgrade your package. And again, pennies on the dollar if you already own the NFL uh, content package. That's our priciest stuff, uh, and deservedly so, I do believe. So get over there, check it out. You could follow me on social media at Jeff underscore Mans on Twitter, the Jeff Mans everywhere else, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, and on TikTok. So much to get to today. So as the title of this episode uh, permeates, uh, or precludes, I should say it. Uh, and neither one of those words are right. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but what it demonstrates <laughs> is uh, that we're going to talk running backs. That's what we're going to do. And obviously, with the NFL trade deadline just finalizing, you know, recording this post deadline, so we're up to date on everything that's going on. Now, maybe there's some news that uh, comes down the pike with some of these players in their new teams, whether they're playing, not playing for week nine, obviously we'll dig into week nine for you as well. But I want to really focus in on the running back position today because I, I feel like this 
position has changed so dramatically and it's it hasn't necessarily it's changed a lot since the beginning of the season but realistically this position has just changed over the last few years and i don't think as much as i will brag about being ahead of the curve elite quarterback wide receivers early i, I was way ahead of this our whole team over at fantasyguru.com way ahead of the competition but i still think we weren't prepared for the dramatic 180 that the running back position has gone through. And in fantasy football, where we used to, it used to be like, all right, you need strong running back plays. I don't know how many college basketball fans, college basketball season heating up, starting up now. Remember in the tournament, you can't win a tournament without good guard play. And then, you know, that was the, I don't know, 90s, 2000s mantra. And then we kind of realized, well, the reason you need good guard, you just don't need, you got to have the guys who hold, handle the ball, not turn it over. Really about turnovers in the tournament, right? And that's the same with fantasy football. You need to have a good running back. Well, you just need a lot of touches. And with all the segmentation at the running back position, there's just too much fracture there. So the points are chopped up and it's very difficult. So it's great to have a Nick Chubb, a... Christian McCaffrey right now with San Francisco. These are good things, but what about the rest of us? What about our RB twos? And we'll dive into that here uh, later on in this episode. So we've got a lot to share with you on that front. I'll give you my reaction to some of these NFL trades on this episode as well. A um, couple things want to start off the show discussing as well. By the way, it is, you guys have no idea how, much of a joy this is being able to talk about the podcast on Sirius XM on fantasy sports radio every day and, and, and vice versa and talk more about what we do on the show, because I think it's now a good extension of the show, you know, for a long while we weren't allowed to talk about anything else that we were doing and rightfully so it's in our contract, you know, don't reference podcasts or live streams or anything else that we're doing, but you know, we've all grown and the world has changed a lot. Now it's like, you see it. And that's why I'm proud of this partnership that we're doing with Sirius XM so that this podcast can be on the platform and we could be an extension of the elite sports show, because I think the show quite honestly is an extension of myself, if not more of me than my actual body is, to be honest, I put more into that radio show than I do just about anything else, maybe excluding the work at fantasyguru.com. And notice I left personal life and everything else out of it because I do. I give it all that I got to the work because I believe in it. I believe in helping people and teaching and all that good stuff. But um, so I'm happy about it. I love that fact that we could share back and forth. So one of the things I wanted, I think I deserve, I or I owe it. I don't deserve shit. By the way, this is unedited. It is uncensored, I should say. Uh, it doesn't have edits either. We don't edit. I don't know if you guys, you guys know that. Do you know a lot of podcasts these days are edited? Do you know they throw everything in and chop it all up? That's a true story. I don't ever edit anything. As my producer, Sean Engel, and uh, Sandra Anello, who has produced episodes of this program, could attest, and they, I'm sure they would go on the record with, I don't, don't stop. There's no edits. There's no nothing thrown in. This is just... You're hanging out with me for an hour, which I'm proud about. I like it. Um, maybe it would be better if I did do editing, but who knows? I don't 
why complicate things, right? So uh, something that I owe you guys, I've talked about. Halloween Day was a fascinating story. So those of you, it's the Ryan Fitzpatrick story. That's what I want to tell everybody here. Um, I It was a great, it's a fun little time. So it's Monday Night Football, Cleveland Browns, Cincinnati Bengals. Those of you who have our betting NFL betting subscription over at fantasyguru.com knows I hit the single game parlay. I hit the super draft parlay, hit the over Donovan people's Jones prop bet. So we won a lot of money and it was a big day on Monday night. It's also Halloween night. You know, my kids are older. My son's 12. He's like, nah, I'm not in, I'm not going to go trick or treating. I'm not going to dress up. He's in junior high. He doesn't give a shit anymore. Um, all that. Oh, by the way. Yeah. So it's uncensored. If you're sensitive ears, that's whatever I was going before. If you have sensitive ears, if you don't like cursing or explicit talk, probably not this this show isn't for you. Um, put the kids away. Make sure you know they're not listening. We don't want to, them over here any kind of adult conversation, which is what we do on this show. Anyway, so my son wasn't into it or watched the game, all that, and you know things happen. Halloween's fun. Going out and get candy, it's a great thing. Uh, he got into it. My older kids went out and my goddaughter was over who's two years old and just a delight. Uh, she got, she was in her lion costume and roaring and stuff. So it was a lot, you know, just a fun. Everybody had fun. So I don't know how it happened, but I live across the street from a pretty famous person, uh, former NFL player, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Right. So he's been in the neighborhood for a while. I, um, Less than I have been here, but he, you know, he moved in. He lives next door to his brother, and they got like the whole block essentially is their house and or their compound, I should say. But I've never really, I don't star fuck. Like, that's just not me. I, I really like leaving people alone. I don't like to get in other people's business or spy. Like you know, leave them alone. I don't know whatever occasionally have seen him uh him his wife his kids all that stuff wave and polite but nothing big but um for whatever reason like this this year was different in that um he did he ended up doing like a big haunted house thing a big whole thing so my kids were like wow that's pretty cool it's like it was the hot spot of the neighborhood and so they're like all right we're going and my son knows him sees him on amazon now and he's like all into it. And sure as hell, he goes over there and all of a sudden he starts saying, oh, my dad knows you. <laughs> like I'd, I've interviewed Ryan Fitzpatrick. I actually had two different times of uh, once in person, once just over the air on like a Thursday night post game show with me and Pilar Lasher years ago. So, um, you know. He says this, and my oldest daughter's like, oh, boy, you better uh, come over here because, you know, the the boy is talking some stuff or saying that he knows him. He's trying to picture, like, who you are or whatever. So, anyway, I had to break away from the game for a minute um, and went over there and just, you know, casually. And so I got a chance to talk to him and discuss some, you know, just casually. Dude was nicest human being ever. I thought it was immensely classy that there was a lot of the younger kids, including my goddaughter. Um, but even once they're a little older, like the six to 10 year old where they're still scared, you had a nice haunted house freaked out my oldest, you know, they were like scary. So it was a big time thing, right? A production. And 
but he and Ryan himself went in there and said, Hey guys, these guys are scared. No jump scares. So when somebody was like too scared, he made sure they're okay. Went through, made sure the kids still had a good time. I'm like, you know, that's what just classy, just a real nice guy. Uh, talked about being in, in uh, TV and stuff uh, for the first time. And that's the thing I didn't realize is that the reason he's never done any of this, he's worked. <laughs> this was the first Halloween he's ever been home. So I thought it was just a cool thing and shook my son's hand and and gave away you know, full-size candy bars my son still like he's like nobody eat my full-size candy bars that's what's from ryan fitzpatrick he's now the biggest ryan fitzpatrick stand in the world and we've lived across the street from this dude for you know four or five years now so it's just funny how it goes and you meet somebody i just really respect the way he carried himself you know his family's always they're great his brother was in a Santa Claus costume and all that kind of stuff. So it was, you know, got to talk a little bit uh, behind the scenes stuff at Sirius and Amazon and, you know, all that, how everything's working out uh, there and all that, which, you know, just a great story, fun story. And I thought it's good to know when these players fits magic and a lot of people like him in all the different cities he's been to, whether it be, you know, he's Houston and the jets and Miami and St. Louis before they moved to LA, he's been all over the place, um, you know, and left, had a good reputation. It's good that, you know, they're like that in real life. And I thought it was a fun story to share. And now my son's like a huge Ryan Fitzpatrick fan where during his playing years, didn't really know or think about it whatsoever. So pretty cool that, uh, you got to share that and do that with them. And then you yeah, had to hit the parlay that came home to realize, Oh man, the Browns are just smashing the Bengals. That was a, I, I thought the Cleveland Browns were going to be competitive in that game. I knew that Joe Burrow was going to have problems without Jamar chase. And I, I, I also knew that the market didn't understand that the betting market, the DFS market, the fantasy market, nobody really seemed to understand the Joe Burrow needs Jamar Chase probably more than Jamar Chase needs Joe Burrow. Yeah, that's one of those relationship things that where they produce at such a high level. And so we knew that. So that's why I went and did the alt lines, right? And uh, doing the alt lines, is that that's something, you know, one of my takeaways from week eight. I realized something also from this week. And, you know, we are no different than anybody out there who plays seasonal daily betting, you know, all of every, all of us, we all fall into traps and get blinders in at times. And, you know, it's my job to block it out as much as humanly possible and give straight up analysis all the time. I'll tell you a, a trap that I fell into recently. And that was in NFL betting, right? So, you know, I've talked about betting a lot on this show more than on in fantasy sports radio because I was, I'm a fantasy player or fantasy guy, I guess you could say analyst before I was a betting analyst. And I don't, I didn't really expect to ever be a betting analyst. I made bets with my old man going back to when I was age four and five, we used to do a quarter a game on college football and the bowl games, right? We, Always had in that, I bet with my buddies, we always did stuff. You ever see a Christmas story, uh, bets, triple dog, dairy and stuff. We all, playground bets of who could throw the ball over the roof of the school. And then we get you know, all that. So like betting in that capacity was 
always a part of it. And then as I got older, my brother, I had older brothers that would always do football picks and then they would make bets. And for a long time, my, uh, my brother who worked in parts department his whole life, um, they had a bookie that came in, you know, typical Southside bookie, Southside Chicago bookie, I should say, and you would take bets and all that. So I was a teenager giving my brother advice and giving him um, analysis, I guess, and tell him what bets to make. And it got to the point that he was good that like every year for like three or four years in a row, my brother would get cut off. They, the bookie wouldn't take his action anymore and want to know where he's getting it and whatever. And, uh, you know, just to be very upfront with you, my, my brother, older brother's uh, got a learning disability. He's also, he's physically and mentally disabled and uh, has been so his whole life, of course. So I think the bookie thought he was going to take advantage of him and expected to take advantage of him. And when he wasn't able to take advantage of him, he was kind of, they would get pissed off. And then he'd come back for the next year. And the other guys in the the um, parts department would, uh, you know, be losing. And he'd like, why are you losing so much? So, like, betting's been a thing forever. I know we were the first show on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio to talk about the betting angle, uh, you know, it, we were told not to, and I used to be a very defiant human being in my younger days. And we did five team parlay from 2011 and we did it during baseball season. We would talk and I was never a baseball better. I, I was a NFL better college football. And then during the tournament as well, but none of that makes any difference because I'm not a professional. at it. I feel in to be a professional at something, you have to have the most experience at it. That's what I believe, whether it's a doctor, you're a lawyer, you are a fuck man scientist or whatever you are, you have to, it's one thing you have to be educated in what you're an expert at, and then you have to be uh, experienced at it, right? That helps you. And that's why I could claim to be a fantasy expert, even though I rare, I never use that term because I hate that fucking term. But you have somebody that you can go to and get advice from. When betting became legalized, it's like, a crossroads because I don't, I never want to sell myself as something that I'm not. And there are people who've gambled and gamble on high level and sports bet at a high level, way beyond my means and capabilities for years. So sort of a tough thing. And I spent three, four years strong, just honing the craft and understanding the betting angle of it. And for a while, I didn't talk about it one iota. Then I started making, uh, picks on the show and I, for a two year first two years i did it on the show if you guys remember back then 2015 2016 i was uh saying this entertainment purposes only entertainment purposes only then i just dropped it because i had to uh, i started winning and you know decent winning 61.6 percent winning percentage over the last five years in uh, nfl betting all documented all given to subscribers and members and on the radio and on this podcast and everything else. So I'm proud of that. So with that being said, what happened this year? I started out strong as hell, like real strong. You know, it was, I think I was 10 and five the first week of the season. Um, 
you know, went seven or uh, 11 and nine, the second week, 11 and seven, the third week, 12 and five, real good week four. And then all of a sudden week five hit week five, I went seven and 12 week eight or six. I went eight and 12. Then week seven ended up 10 and 10. So if you see like all of a sudden you're, you're working, you're, everything's going well. And, now you're giving back. So I had to really focus in like, why am I, I don't like giving back. I'm way too competitive. And I'll tell you the thing that changed when betting became legalized. And one of the things that I figured out upon it being legalized in Arizona, because remember Arizona wasn't legal. I couldn't even see sports, the sports books. I, I could see it, the odds, but I couldn't bet it. I couldn't see what the parlays were because they wouldn't let me in. So you know, that was a tough thing to uh, to navigate. Eventually, I realized alt lines. And, you know, as a fantasy analyst and as a data analyst, as I've been for 18 years now, those skills in the betting arena is what I need to do and not try to be a sports better. And I think that's where a lot of people in our in my situation and it's just in general, as a fan, we try to do that too much. We try to be something. We try to emulate somebody else who has a different experience and a different skill set and whatever. And we try to make that. The great thing about the betting market, right, is unlike fantasy and unlike DFS even, there's thousands of different ways to make your nut. Like there are countless, There, it's an endless number of ways to be profitable. You don't have to do it like other people. You don't have to do mega parlays. You don't have to be even very structured and set on uh, each game, each side the same, each total the same. You don't even have to do it. There, you can do whatever it is. See, there are no real rules. Do you know what I'm saying? Like in fantasy sports, PPR, non-PPR, start X amount of players, you can't start less than a week, more in a week. DFS, you have to use all the salary. You can't use all the salary. Or you have this multiplier on superdraft.io. You don't have that multi. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Like there's there's the rules of those games, which is difficult. It makes it that much more difficult that we have to abide by the end with sports betting. There's no rules. All your only rule or your only goal is to win. There's no rule that you have to bet on your favorite team every week. There's no rule. You have to bet a certain number of bets. There's no rule. You have to bet on, uh, uh, you can't parlay. There's no rule that you can't do totals or sides or props. There's no rules on it. The only rules to profit. Okay. And I think on social media and I, a lot of experts in the betting sector, try to get people to do it their way. But, is that the way for everybody? And I learned that in DFS specifically where uh, I did it everybody else's way. I had some success. And then I saw that success draining and dwindling. And I said, oh, shit, I need to figure out a different way. I don't want to fall the way that other people who have hit live finals and won you know, $350,000 as I have. I don't want, I don't want to fall the way they fall. So I need to figure out a different way. That's where I became, you know, cash game McGee over here. So, and it's the same with betting and with betting, it just, 
reaffirmed this this past week. I realized I I'm a good data analyst. I know how to I know how to identify game flow and matchups. So just focus on that. And the alt lines is the way to do it. Alternative lines. So when you see a game, um, an NFL game, and I'll use specific, but this worked in college basketball too. I was 32 and six while sitting in my chair, recovering from surgery during the first two rounds of the college basketball tournament. And incredible. And I was betting nothing at first because I'm no, I don't know shit about, I don't fuck all about college basketball, but was able to do it just with using some basic information from our team at Fantasy Guru and then doing these alt bets. So I just gave myself layers of protection. That's what it was all about. And last week, that's what we did. And on Monday Night Football, the Browns and Bengals game, you know, I thought the Browns were going to be competitive. But I, I said, fuck it. I'm going to go seven. I'm going to go up to seven and a half points. So the Browns could win the game. They could easily if they lose, I felt like it was going to be under a touchdown. This is probably more of a field goal to two field goal type game, in my opinion, going in. So I played the alt line and got seven and a half points with the Browns, plus seven and a half. And of course, that's going to be minus 160, right? So you're not going to win very much for that singular bet. Although I will contend, fuck it. Would you rather do have a short, a much more sure thing at 0.4, at four tenths of a unit? Or would you have to swing for the fences? That's where it trips a lot of people up. But the way to get best of both worlds is combine that because if the Browns, number one, using it with the total, I did under the underscore because I felt without Jamar Chase, the Bengals offense is going to struggle. The Browns offense isn't much anyway. ranked 24th in the league going into that game. They're going to be run heavy, which both teams will be run heavy, which takes a lot of the clock off. I like the under, but instead of going under 45, which I think the number was or 44 and a half, I said, fuck that. I'm going, I'm going to build it up a little bit. And the way this game is going Let's say worst case scenario, you get a defense touchdown. I thought, okay, what if it's a 21-20 type game or a 24 to 20 type game? Okay. I don't want a two-point conversion here or some last thing to all what do you know? It's at now it's at 46, 47 total, and you lose by a couple of points. They weren't going over 47. And that's Luckily, what happened because that game was way higher scoring than I thought. But be, the fa- and if you were to bet the under the total, you would have lost. But going up to 47 and a half, you won. And in order to get plus plus odds on my money, I just combined those two. For one, betting the under, you usually want to take the points, right? Because less points, the more, especially once you get into a whole touchdown, that's a lot of points given a 44 or so is expected to point total. That's a lot of points to get. You see what I'm saying? So that's what you want to do. So combining that was plus 130 on the bet, and that's the way to go. And it wasn't the only time. Last week, I, I absolutely freaking smashed it. Um, I was 12 and 5 throughout the week. Uh, I was 8 and 2 on the site on Sunday, and then 3 and 1 again on uh, on Monday. So, you know, very good. At, and the thing is, one seven and a half units. Okay. 
And there's some argument to be had. Oh, well, you did parlays. Well, yes, but they're not, it's not your typical parlay where you need everything to go exactly perfect. The odds makers are sharp. But the greatest thing about the biggest advantage I think the common better has now is to be able to set your own odds. Because there's a lot of things at, at play. You never want to take a three and a half, minus three and a half or seven and a half or 10 and a half. Because games are decided by field goals or touchdowns. You know, there's always those instances where missed extra point or two point conversion. And of course, but you don't want to get in the habit of betting those like that. So set your own odds, set an odd where you're comfortable. And that's a nice, easier way to win. And I am locked the fuck in this season now when it comes to NFL betting. Cause I, I re learned, re realized it. And man, I cannot wait for the second half of the season betting wise. That was awesome. The DFS week eight was a Ted Schuster was right. When he said on Friday's elite sports show, it's going to be highly High scoring week, 162 pay lines on FanDuel, over I think 170 was on DraftKings, over 180 on SuperDraft. Like, holy shit. I was fortunate to cash in both cash games and GPPs, which never happens, considering I set a lineup based on my lineup is a hedge lineup, right? So I set my best lineup in cash and then hedge off of it for GPP. Thus, I rarely middle, meaning win both. And the way I did is win decent amount in GPP, took top 20 in the big high price tournaments, and then was able to squeak out 45 through 50th. I finished at 50th in multiple 50-50s this week, but not one contest I finished outside. So fortunate with that. But it was tough to do so. Missed on Sam Ellinger. Fortunately, using Deontay Foreman, using Tony Pollard in the core four, of course. Tyree Kill, of course, in the core four was uh, the overall difference makers and what kept us above those lineup trains. Because lineup, I was going, I went from 67th place to 45th place like instantly. And that's because all you have to beat is that train. One train, one lineup, It's and you move 20 spots ahead. That's what DFS has become, and it's wild. Uh, trade deadlines, let's get into that a little bit. Hawkinson to the Vikings. You know, good move for the Vikings. I think it's a what-the-hell-are-you-thinking moment for the Detroit Lions, and I start wondering, okay, what exactly are the Lions doing here? Um, you know, Hawkinson was a top-eight pick. And to get back a second round pick, okay, did he really underperform that much? I don't think he did. To warrant you're only getting back a second? This seemed kind of garbage. And Hawkinson has been a big piece for them whenever Swift and Amon Ross St. Brown have been down. Now they're both back to being healthy, but how long is uh, can we reasonably accept that? I don't think Brock Wright is the answer. So I think you've taken a significant weapon away from the strongest point or strongest part of your team in Detroit in the tight end. The tight end, Brock Wright, James Mitchell, is not going to be that useful. So I speculate. Viking, I think for overall, Hawkinson's value remains neutral. It drops 
a very, very tiny amount because he's just a lesser piece of this offense. You don't really have that angle with Irv Smith being out. Is he going to play in line a lot? Yes. I think it actually helps. It's one of those weird moves that we think of it in terms of fantasy, but I think it helps Dalvin Cook. Gives him another powerful run blocker on the offensive line in running formations, which Irv Smith just wasn't. One of the reasons Irv Smith was sort of didn't play a ton. All right. Um, so there you go. So that's my Hawkins and Claypool to the Bears. The the Bears, I like the move to get Chase Claypool. I despise the move wholeheartedly to trade away Roquan Smith. So I, I just hate it. Right. I just absolutely completely hate it. Um yeah, I just uh, I, I just fucking hate it. That's all. That's all I could say. Um, but I like getting Justin Fields, who is coming of age, you know, quarterback five over the last four weeks. He, we see it with Fields. He's starting to pop, getting him somebody, a big, strong, fast guy that can get down the field, can sky up and go get it. You know, high point the football, getting a guy like Claypool, I think is a big thing for the Bears. I like it from Claypool's perspective. Not necessarily this season, but I like his dynasty and keeper value a lot more now than I did previously. Uh, the Broncos getting Chase Edmonds. What the fuck are the Broncos doing? Trading Bradley Chubb. What the, what are they doing? What the hell are they doing? I love, I, I don't even know what to make. I, I love the Dolphins trading away Chase Edmonds and getting Jeff Wilson. Jeff Wilson is a must add if available. If I bet you that people dropped him, maybe even this week after they showed that Christian McCaffrey is going to be the workhorse in San Francisco, and we know Elijah Mitchell is going to be back to take the handcuff role, Jeff Wilson's odd man out. And last two weeks, he was, he's was he gone down almost 20% across CBS, ESPN, and Yahoo. So he's a guy now that becomes a handcuff in a great running scheme that he's familiar with and has experience with that Edmonds is gone, which is the 35% role Right out of the gate, Jeff Wilson will assume that role. And you got a 31-year-old, often injured running back Raheem Mostert ahead of him. Goldmine, must add right now. Calvin Ridley to the Jaguars? I don't know what this is. Jack, why would you ever trade for – this is just stupid. I like – fine. I like taking chances. I don't want to seem like I'm that that guy. However, you don't ever – and I mean you don't – ever get a guy trade any kind of viable commodity for a player that is not allowed to play football right now. Right. So that's a, I don't like that from that move. You know what I mean? So there we go. Um, Naheem Hines to Buffalo. I don't know why Buffalo would trade away a between the tackles runner and Zach Moss for another version of Devin Singletary and James Cook, who they already have. Makes no sense. Naheem Hines is a good running back. He's not overtaking Singletary. He is overtaking James Cook. So there you go. Um, yeah, that there we go. So Zach Moss of Colts becomes interesting because Zach Moss is now the handcuff to Jonathan Taylor and we have passing down work. And I think what happens in Indianapolis is 
The passing down work will be assumed by Jonathan Taylor. I don't think we're going to see with Matt Ryan, you know, Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. They're gone. Sam Ellinger's the new quarterback the rest of the year. We're not going to get the checkdowns. We're just not going to get them the way that we did with those other quarterbacks. So the role for Naheem Hines is going to diminish anyway. No reason Jonathan Taylor can't catch the football out of the backfield. Obviously, when healthy, he re-injured his ankle, by the way, which look at Philip Lindsay and Zach Moss. If you're in an emergency case for a running back this week, go get it. I think the guy to grab here is Paris Campbell. Remember what Sam Ellinger did for Devin Duvernay at the University of Texas? Loves throwing to the slot. A lot of crazy amount of red zone throws to the slot, which is unusual for a quarterback. That's what stood out to me. You know what I mean? It really stood out to me. So I think Paris Campbell is a must add at this point in time. I think that's a, a guy you go out and get. I'm not jonesing for Zach Moss or Deion Jackson, who I do think for one week, at least we'll see some Deion Jackson, which pro- his emergence probably made Naheem Hines tradable that and the big contract they give him. So uh, there you go. So those are the majority of the trades, right? I think I got them all, some defensive things in there um, as well. But that's the majority of the NFL trade deadline conversation. So obviously there's a bunch of movement here, a bunch of things going. What I wanted to do is talk running backs with you here on this episode and to discuss specifically which offenses have the most lucrative and the least lucrative backfields. Okay. What do we mean by that? For those who are subscribers over at fantasyguru.com, um, you need to understand this is something I've done for years. It's called the running back grid slash handcuff chart, right? You could use it for whichever purposes you want to use it for. And I update it every single week over on the site and what the chart does for you is it ranks every team's the value of every of every team's backfield okay this is not about players players are about a 12.5% mix in here okay it's about the backfield it's about an average nfl running back playing in that team's back i take the same Ken doll. Think about it as a no genitals Ken doll. And it put it in every single, put that player in every team's backfield. And he does the same thing, same exact everything. Which situation do they, does that Ken doll profit in or you know do well in? And which does he do not so well in? That's the, probably the best way to think of it. Yeah, data analyst, most points versus least points, expected points, if you will. Okay, now this incorporates everything. It incorporates the overall touches, overall targets, overall, I should start with snaps. Uh, active running back, it goes deeper than that. It goes active running backs, snaps, backfield division snaps, touches, value, carries versus targets 
targets versus receptions, receptions versus yards, touchdown potential, red zone usage, green zone usage, goal line usage. Okay, it encompasses all of it. All right, so, um, and then thus, the way, this is the future, all right? This is the future of drafting running backs in fantasy football. Fuck every name that you could possibly think of. Don't even worry about any names. The names ruin you. The names ruin us. It's the situation that dictates the production. It has been that way forever. If you look at, again, I go back to... Fuck me. I go back to Walter Payton and Neil Anderson for crying out loud. I go back all the way. I want to talk about Marshall Falk and Trunk Candidate, uh, Priest Holmes and Larry Johnson and Tony Richardson and Sean Alexander and was it Mercury or uh, what's his name? Morris, the backup in Seattle back in those days. And Michael Turner and, you know, LaDainia Tomlinson, Michael Turner. Look at every stud running back you've seen over the years. And then look at the back at whenever they missed a game or time or snap or anything else, go look at the production. And it's amazing. It doesn't drop off despite a perceived drop off in talent. And that's the reason we're getting running backs traded for pennies on the dollar. Now that's why you don't get any running backs drafted in the first round anymore. Barely any in the first two rounds anymore, because when you build a great offense line, you have a quarterback that doesn't allow you to stack the box against the running game. You have a good blocking scheme. You have good run play design. Doesn't matter who you put back there. You know, you have to have an adequate skill set, of course, but doesn't matter. There's the differential isn't doesn't vary that widely. All right. So those instances are more important. So with that being said. Like the most valuable backfield, of course, is the Cleveland Browns. It hasn't changed all year since the first publication. Of, it hasn't changed since shit. I don't know if it's changed since 2020. I don't think the Browns have been out of the top spot in that long. They've had best offensive line. They have a tandem in there. However, Nick Chubb is amazing. Kareem Hunt's amazing. Even I have four leagues now where I'm starting Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt together every single week. And I don't even think about removing either one of them. Not for a second. I should say a second. I did on Monday. I thought about it for a second because I thought Hunt might get traded. He didn't, but um, that's the best. The Chargers are second. 49ers have moved up to third. Patriots. Patriots have gone. They've been dead last in years past, but the modern offense in 2022, they're the fourth best running game between Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson, All right? Green Bay, five, Dallas, six, Detroit, seven, Cincinnati, eight, Chicago, nine, Carolina. Start out 26th on this list has gone all the way up. We've seen why. Deontay, Form- the offensive line's playing great. Just great. And thus, they could trade McCaffrey and their production goes up. Both weeks, Deontay Foreman has been 118 yards back-to-back weeks. Chuba Hubbard with, uh, was he, 15-plus points uh, two weeks ago. Was obviously out with injury this past week. Just a very valuable backfield. 
team that's still going to run the ball despite being trailing in most of their ball games, right? Not being a very good team. So those are your top 10. Um, bottom, I mean, obviously the worst in the league is the LA Rams. Terrible. You don't want anything, anything. And listen, let's look at transparency. I told you the at the beginning of the season, I told you the Browns, Chargers, 49ers, Packers, Cowboys, Lions, Bengals. Yeah. So seven of the top 10 teams were in the top 10 when we started the season and in draft season. Okay. Now let's go to the ones I got wrong. Let's let's look at the bottom 10. Rams are the worst. And the Rams were, I will say one that I recommended. They weren't my top 10, but they were right outside the top 10. I used the data on what Sean McVay's running backs have always produced throughout his tenure in Los Angeles. And we could actually go back to Washington and even look at that and very productive backfield. It's become a absolute fucking tire fire. Daryl Henderson, still the technical RB one. Where did Ronnie rivers come from? Uh, Nowhere. He's not Kyron Williams will probably start for them this coming week. Um, That's my guess at least, but I don't want anything to do with it. I really don't. Even though it's not a bad matchup against Tampa Bay, but I'm not going there. They're the worst. Washington's second worst. And Washington's another one that I won't say I was highly invested in. I called the Brian Robinson over Antonio Gibson thing early. And then, of course, he got shot, which took that up. But now we're seeing Gibson back into the mix. So this has been a big disaster, too. And the fact that you get J.D. McKissick mixing in, is the worst. Now, to me, Washington's probably the more the worst situation, even though the Rams are so bad, uh, that Washington, you can't figure out on a week in and week out basis who's going to carry the football and why and how. And it it's one thing when it's situational, it's one thing when it's game script, it's one thing when it's every other week or any kind of pattern we can identify and capitalize on. We can't do it with Washington thus far. Denver, third worst, self-explanatory, I think. RIP to Javante Williams, my man. The Steelers. Now, here's one of my law. This is it was top 10 for me. The Pittsburgh Steelers have had top 10 running back production from fantasy, uh, from fantasy purposes all but two seasons of Mike Tomlin's 15-year career, previous 15 years. All but two, and they were top 20 in all of them. So to fall this far is dramatic and it sucks and it's terrible. I will say Najee Harris is RB 23. All right. Najee Harris has the same amount of points as Kenneth Walker this season. Ooh, what? What? What are you talking about, man? Yeah, it's he's obviously not. As valuable as Kenneth Walker, but Kenneth Walker's only started the last four games, but he did play in all the games so far. Okay, well, he missed week one, I believe, so seven games. So Walker's obviously more valuable. But you see how that perspective immediately put you on your heels, right? Najee is not going to finish nearly as bad as people think. He's going to wind up, I said this on the radio show the other uh, earlier today, that he's going to end up being like RB 16 
for the year, which is way worse than I thought. I had him top five. Absolutely. That kind of workload. But even though I'm going to be wrong on the situation and wrong on the play, I have a feeling I'm going to be right overall. Just, I'm sorry. I can't say overall. That's not right. I'm, I was right on the reasoning and the process. See, that's what's important all the time. Because the reason Najee Harris is RB23, is a RB2 for the season right now, is because of all the reasons that I was putting him higher. I thought the efficiency would go way or would be far up. I mean, seriously, if you take even a modest projection, nobody in the world projected three yards per carry for Najee Harris. Nobody. No fucking person, right? No matter what anybody said, lies. So if the workload, 108 attempts, if you take that and you project it, let's say if you take uh, yeah, 108, what's 108 times 4.3, which is a reasonable, what is that, 460, 460-ish rushing yards? If you put him up there, well, he's got more than Kenneth Walker then. You know, all of a sudden, he's got more than Gibson and Jamal Williams and Joe Mixon and Brees Hall and Leonard Fournette. You see, all of a sudden, it changes. Just a moderate, and that's not even a good season for him. 4.3 yards per carry. But you see how that changes things? And then, so the RB23, you could have all the same touchdowns and catches, which are also down, and targets that are also down. And all of a sudden, right there, he's RB18. A little bit better efficiency, which is what dropped off. However, if you would have got average efficiency with this kind of workload, now you're looking at the guy who would be closer to the top 10 than he is the 24 range. All right, so uh, Steelers, fourth worst. Giants, fifth worst. Giants are just Saquon Barkley. That's all it is. Saquon goes down, you're fucked. It's over, man. Matt Breida, good luck. Good luck. They're fifth worst. The Miami Dolphins, sixth worst. And that's that's one that I'm wrong about. I was way higher on the Dolphins going into the season. And now that they've finally figured out that Edmonds doesn't fit, Mostert is their guy. They go and reinforce it with Wilson. I expect that value to go up. All right? And... I'll get into the how many total points the the backfields have achieved thus far through half the season, eight weeks in. And I'll just tell you, the Miami Dolphins are 27th, sixth fewest, 152.4 total points out of that backfield. Eek. It's not a lot. Not, not good at all. All right. So that is um, why they're so low is their defense has been shitty. Got throw a lot. Tyreek rolling, Waddle rolling, Tua rolling. It'll get better. So, in my own personal opinion, if this was an opinion, uh, which backfields are the most uh, successful? I'd probably have more toward the middle of the pack. But you know, you gotta can't. You can always make your gut calls, but in essence, you don't want to be invested. The Chiefs are seventh worst here, and I think it'll get better with Pacheco uh, being the lead guy there, although it's not going to change much. You're still going to see Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I'm surprised Jarek McKinnon wasn't traded. I really am. 
but I expect McKinnon to go away after the bye here. Seventh worst is uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. Um, I'm sorry, eighth worst is Jacksonville Jaguars, Buffalo Bills. The ninth worst, Atlanta Falcons, number 10. The Falcons have moved up. Now you get Cordero Patterson back. That's a hot the thing that saves the Falcons. Immense volume. But they may screw it all up because if Patterson comes back, you add him to Algier, Caleb Huntley. Where does Damian Williams fit in? I mean, who knows? A lot of meat on the bone, but if everybody's taking one bite, that's not going to be enough to feed the bulldog. All right, so those are the top 10 and bottom 10, all right? Um, I want to go into which backfields, which teams' backfields. This is a collective. I did this four weeks ago on the radio show. Who has scored the most points of which backfield? If I asked you guys what is the number one backfield in terms of fantasy points scored this season, who would it be team-wise, not player? I feel like you would get this one, all right? It's the Cleveland Browns, of course. 253 points. It's a shit ton. And what's even better about Cleveland, 64.26% of those points come from one man and Nick Chubb. 33%, though, comes from the second guy and Kareem Hunt. It's jackpot backfield to own both of they have the most points so by using but the fact that the two of them have added up to the to 99% of the total points for the backfield again think about the running back top scoring running back in fantasy football right now is Austin Eckler with 174 points All right who is your second um, running back, you know, let's say you have, uh, let's say you have a good second running back and they've got you only 19 running backs even have a hundred points. So I'll give you a hundred points. So you have the number one guy and you have another top 18 guy that has scored 18 points. So you have 274 points from your backfield. If you start assuming you start them all every week and we get into that some other time. But if you just went and said, YOLO, Chubb and Hunt every week, you're 20 points behind that. Two and a half, three points a week. You know? So uh, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense to just buy up the entire share of backfields. The Chargers are uh, second, 244.3 points. Now, the Chargers are way different because – Eckler has 174 points of the, of the 240 or 71.5% of that entire backfield, which by the way, isn't even the biggest share. All right. There's several teams with their lead back having a higher share. Saquon Barkley, 78.56. Josh Jacobs in Las Vegas, 78.01. Leonard Fournette in Tampa Bay, 75.64. As far as the lead running back share of the overall points. So Miami is sec, or I'm sorry, what did I talk about? The Chargers is second on this list. I had Miami on the brain for some reason. Detroit Lions are third. How about that? Detroit, 213 points. And the thing that's interesting about Detroit is it's really three guys. 
right? It, you know, it is uh, obviously Jamal Williams is number one. Um, he's pacing DeAndre Swift mostly because DeAndre Swift just does not play football very often. But then it's also Craig Reynolds behind him, who's got 30.8 points. Even Justin Jackson has 10 points. So we're going to go four deep to get that 213, third most points. Only 50%, though, coming from the lead guy in Jamal Williams. Fourth most points, Tennessee Titans. Mm. And that's curious and strange because we know this is obviously impacted by Derrick Henry's last week and where he just fucking went bananas and ruined the Houston Texans' lives. But 208 points for the Tennessee Titans, 145 of those are Derrick Henry points, but 56 points, Dalton Hilliard. That's that's a surprise. He had that big week one. He completely went away, Dontrell Hilliard, Um, and then came back recently. And the fact that Hilliard has 13 catches – for 144 yards and three touchdowns, despite just 14 attempts and 109 yards rushing. That is peculiar. But the Titans are fourth on the list. The um, New York Giants are fifth on the list with the highest amount, 78% going to Saquon Barkley, of course. The Jets are sixth on the list, and they were paced by Brees Hall, but he's gone now. So somebody's got to step into that role. And that's where I think James Robinson comes in because Michael Carter has a nice of those 199 points that the jets have scored 40%. The second, third highest RB two share of the fantasy points is there. And so what this chart shows you is when you have, a lot of points being generated from the backfield. And then the running back one has, you know, will always have their share. But what you're looking at there is which second running backs also have a high, which second running backs have a high share of those points. All right. And that's where Michael Carter fits in. And the reason I say that is because it's often ignored we handcuff our main backs and we'll handcuff Eckler and we'll handcuff maybe Henry and Saquon. But what about handcuffing? Why don't we handcuff Jamal Williams or why don't we handcuff Michael Carter? What happens if Carter goes down? It's not all going to be that one dog. They're still going to split the backfields. And that's, I, I had a good run two weeks in a row with Craig Reynolds. And one, the first week he actually sucked. And then the next, actually he got some points that week. But then the second way, I went right back to him and he got me over 10 points, right? As sort of a handcuff, if you will, or a substitution for DeAndre Swift in that role in the Lions offense. So that's some that's an edge you can gain, all right? The Jets are sixth on the list, seventh most fantasy points out of the backfield, uh, New England Patriots. We know that's led by Ramondre Stevenson. Damian Harris has been hurt. Stevenson, 67.29% of that share. That's surprising because Harris is only 32.21. Now, what does that tell you, though? It's basically 100% those two guys. So very similar to what it is in Cleveland. 
a lot of meat on the bone, and that secondary running back, not too freaking shabby. It's not too shabby. Damian Harris, when healthy, pretty productive. All right, eighth on the list uh, as far as the team's fantasy points concerned, Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, there you go. There's another opportunity for us. Why? Well, 194.5 points scored throughout the backfield. RB1 is Travis Etienne, had a big game against um, Denver this past week in London. But 71.6 of those points were James Robinson, who is now gone. So we have an opportunity. And by the way, this includes all week eight games where Jamichael Hasty w- was a factor. So all of a sudden, Jamichael Hasty becomes a passing down option for the Jacksonville Jaguars and somebody that's definitely of widely available in most fantasy leagues, right? Played 25% of snaps this past week, had a 14% target share, only a 12% rush share. He's too small to really run. But I'll tell you, Hasty goes down or ETN goes down. I mean, even I think there's Snoop Connor. If you're in deeper leagues, I'm in some deep leagues where I went and gobbled up Snoop Connor. Only got one snap this past week. I don't think he, yeah, he didn't touch the ball, did he? No, he didn't touch the ball, but he was on the field. He is a much different type of runner than Hasty or ETN, where he's a powerful guy between the tackles could end up being a goal line player, you know? So I think that's a valuable commodity because Jacksonville's produced points out of their backfield. Nobody's talking about that. Washington's number nine. Remember when I was talking, they are the second worst running the backfield to invest in this season, according to the running back grid at fantasy but they're ninth most points. That's why they're fucking confounding. Because every time we got to figure it out, they switch it up. Antonio Gibson last week, Brian Robinson a couple weeks before that. Then you get the J- big J.D. McKissick week. If it was just two of them, we could handle it. J.D. McKissick's presence is ruinous to that backfield. Because now all of a sudden, you have 54% shared to the number one, which is Gibson. 29% shared to running back two, which is Brian Robinson with McKissick coming in at 14%, 13.89 technically, which is one of the highest running back threes. Not the highest though, right? That's like San Francisco. San Francisco is, you know, an enigma because we had to take when McCaffrey was there last week versus not there. So it's a whole, they were 15th in the league, but so Washington was ninth and then the Green Bay Packers were 10th. And I think another situation where A.J. Dillon was not getting the respect he deserved. He wasn't producing what we had wanted him to, of course, right? Where Aaron Jones, 128.5 fantasy points, and Dillon was barely half of that. Yeah, oh my God, right in the middle, 64.4, but nobody else factored in. So Jones, 66% of that share, two-thirds share of a, Top 10 backfield is very, very valuable. I don't think Aaron Jones, another one of our preseason calls, he has not been given that kind of credit. But 33, a good third of it for A.J. Dillon, isn't shabby. He's a top 33 running back. He's six less points than Jonathan Taylor this season. So it's not 
atrocious. And I think now Dylan is hurt going into this week, but that's another opportunity. Another guy that on in the future or should be getting a lot more points in production. So those are the top 10. Um, Carolina was number 11. They finished just outside that Dallas was number 12 finished just outside Las Vegas Raiders. Thanks to Josh Jacobs. Number 13 on this list. Some of the bottom feeders dead last in points production, the Rams. That's why they're the worst backfield. Think about this. Rams have 94 total points out of their backfield. And when you look at Cleveland as 253, I mean, my God, my God, you can't win without running the football. McVay's been able to run the football in the past. Dead last in the league. Awful. Second least, this is crazy, Baltimore. And the Ravens have always, they've fallen to 21st in the running back grid. They have been a top five contender or top five producer every year that I've started doing the running back grid, which dates at least six years back. But they've fallen in. It's it's one thing to have a rushing quarterback like Lamar. It's another thing to rotate your running backs like they do. But now we've got the injuries. J.K. Dobbins can't stay injured out again. Gus Edwards finally emerges, has one week, injures his hamstring. I, I don't think he plays this week. Kenyon Drake, who was probably just about cut before last week's game, now all of a sudden he's the alpha again with Justice Hills. It's It's just too much. When you factor in the rushing quarterback that will lead the way, it's just it's end game for Baltimore. So they are second worst, third worst Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, there you go. Najee Harris, just an awful season, even though his overall volume and a 66% share of that backfield's points is running back to stuff. That's more of a misnomer and a Random act that I you I can't count on it. Philadelphia fifth worst. We know Jalen Hurts is their real leading rusher. If there's any good news for Miles Sanders, for the first time in his career, he's at a 69% share as the RB one in Philadelphia. Still, it sucks when they have a running quarterback and the rest of the team don't don't run the. So they are five sixth worst. Miami. I've talked about that uh, in the past or earlier in the show. The seventh worst here on the list is the New Orleans Saints. Camara's back, finally starting to produce. The good thing about New Orleans is that 72.9% is Alvin Camara of that production. So there you go. All right. So what do we learn here with the running back situation? I think we learned a couple of things. It re-justifies using players in multiple backfields. Cleveland. New England, Green Bay, when Dylan's healthy, Detroit, fucking Dallas. Tony Pollard. Stop bitching about Tony Pollard should be more. Zeke Kelly should be more. I think Tony Pollard is much faster than just playing both. Shut the fuck up. Stop trying to be the hero. Play them both and prosper. Okay? Not that freaking hard. Right? So put it this way. You play both Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott, you would have 184 points, roughly. All right? That would be your season. Meanwhile, if you had fucking Dalvin Cook, who you drafted super ass early, and Raheem Mostert, who you like right now, you'd have less points. 
or Devin Singletary or David Montgomery. He missed a game, but you get even fuck it. If you have Taylor and Brees Hall, you have less points. You see what I'm saying? Like, just get all the points of a valuable backfield. I think we learned that. I think we learned handcuffing the secondary running back is going to be next level sharp. That's what we want to do. When we carve out the running back twos that have the highest share of their team's carries or their team's fantasy points in production. And number one, by the way, on this list is Tony Pollard. Number two is Khalil Herbert, Chicago, Chicago. You could get both Montgomery and Herbert. Stop trying to choose which one play them both. Right. The the jets, the jets are a misnomer because Michael Carter, but we talked about, you can handcuff fucking Michael Carter. Ty Johnson would be the guy right there. Jacksonville. That one that doesn't really work as much because I think there is opportunity. And like Snoop Connor is a different type of runner than Hasty or ETN and should carve out some kind of short yardage role, possibly even goal line. So that and again, that's an opportunity. As you look for running back help, especially week nine here with the bye weeks and bye Mageddon and everything else, that is it's important to realize which backfields are most valuable and how to attack them thereof. All right, my God. I am just rambling on here. Um, let's get to it. Week number nine, total craziness with the bye weeks. Remember, teams are on bye. The Browns, Cowboys, Broncos, Giants, Steelers, and 49ers all off this week. So finding your quarterback, if you're streaming guys, Justin Fields at quarterback makes a ton of sense if you are – able to or capable. I think a guy like Brock Wright, should he clear concussion protocol? If you need a tight end, somebody like that, Mike Gusecki against Chicago, not a terrible tight end to stream. Kate Otten, Tampa Bay against the Rams, not a terrible situation, even though coverage is kind of bad on that one. Uh, And then Will Disley against Arizona. All right, some teams for you to stream. Oh, two other points when it comes to defenses. Two defenses that should be primarily on your radar, okay? Uh, you know, when you have six teams off, chances are you have your defense off or it's coming back or whatnot. Baltimore Ravens and Pittsburgh Steelers. The Ravens are fucking loaded, right? David Ajabu, University of Michigan. This is one of the best players in college football last year. He's back from his torn Achilles. They'll work him in a little slow, but they went out and got Roquan Smith. All right. uh, From the Chicago bears, which is an amazing, I mean, that's a massive upgrade and Tyus Bowser as well activated from his Achilles. So I think a and Bowser, maybe they don't play this week, but then they get to buy so when anybody drops the Ravens defense, chances are they don't even own them because they played so terribly in the beginning of the season. This is not the same defense that's going to come back. Go get them during that bye week. Go get the Baltimore Ravens. And the second one is Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh's off this week. When they come back, they're going to have this guy. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, oh, yeah. TJ fucking Watt. He is a difference maker. Obviously, we know this. But the Pittsburgh defense 
ramps up tremendously with him. Okay. So those are two defenses that absolutely deserve our attention going forward as well. And not to mention the Steelers matchups, Colts, rookie quarterback, Saints, Andy Dalton. They got the Bengals. That's tough. But then the Falcons, Panthers, Raiders, all coming up. And that's why Najee Harris could be a top 16 back this year, just because. Uh, let's get to the bets, the survivor. Who's still in survivor, by the way? Any restarts out there? Hell, man, I'd love to get in a restart survivor. We got a whole second half of the season to go, and I'm out. Um, I'm out both of mine, by the way. That's the first time in a long time I've been out this freaking early. If you have Buffalo, it's obviously, I don't know what you're going to do. At this point, do you want to even save teams? I wouldn't really want to save teams, but the Buffalo Bills against the Jets, Kansas City Chiefs against or uh, at home against Tennessee, Philadelphia, Thursday night football against Houston. Get that one in right away if you're in on that. Those to me seem obvious. If I had to rank those three, I don't love teams on the road, which Philly and Buffalo are. And I also don't love to go against Mike Vrabel and the Tennessee Titans. But I'm sorry. I'm going to take the Chiefs after a bye on the odd home as one. I'll go Philly two. I'll actually go Buffalo three because it's a divisional game. If Assuming those teams are already gone, Bengals. I, I think there's also some gamesmanship here because if you are still in your survivor, the chances are it's getting down to the nitty gritty. And if you don't have one of the big three, other people are going to choose one of the big three. I think not a lot of people are going to, people are way higher on Carolina than they should be. And they're way lower on Cincinnati coming off a Monday night loss, but they Cleveland has played Cincinnati tough. So that was just a bad read by the general public. I'm sorry. It just was. And if you don't want to go there, the other choice that I would probably make is Baltimore. If you want to get cute on Monday night, pretty nice way to win it too. Right. If everybody else gets knocked out with like a jets upsetting Buffalo or something, and you come down to Monday football and on the road, but new Orleans isn't that good to beat the shut out Las Vegas and the Ravens defense, as I said, got so much better. It has inspired the team. And uh, I think this Big spot for the Baltimore Ravens if you had to go there. Uh, my favorite bet as it stands right now, I, I'll do this. I'm not going to use an alt line for this one, not on this show at least, because I do like the natural line. And it's uh, Miami Dolphins minus five against the Bears. There, It's an obvious, a lot of respect for Justin Fields within that line. But we can't forget that Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn are gone for the Chicago Bears. This defense is absolutely positively wholeheartedly ruined. The Dolphins are going to put up 40, 35 plus easy. Okay. So, you know, pretty good over spot too. So a minus five over 45. Fuck man. Let me, let me do this in real time. Let me give a little, uh, I like both of those bets, but if I'm doing, I got to, let me open up my, my little uh, projection model here. 
All right, let's instead, let's go to what I want to bet, which is minus two and a half for the Miami Dolphins, okay, on the alternate spread because if I, they'll win by a touchdown, so I have no problem. That will be my official bet. But if we're doing a little single-game parlay here, um, we're also going to go on the over – Go over 42 and a half. See what I mean? Do you know what an easy bet this is, folks? The Dolphins minus two and a half over 42 and a half. Okay. Now I haven't checked the weather in Chicago yet. I haven't gotten to that point in a week. This time of year it can always be shitty. It'll definitely be cold, probably windy, but that's a plus 134 single game parlay. And the Dolphins are going to score 30 plus. The Bears offense has been good. They got some rejuvenation with Claypool, who will play, but very limited. Dolphins defense has sucked ass. So, I mean, 30 to 14, 30 to 13, that's pretty easy, right? It's an easy one. Plus 134 on that. Single game parlay, built it right for you. And if you're looking for an upset this week, I'll tell you, I know they traded uh, a top eight overall pick in TJ Hawkinson, but the Lions over the Packers. Packers are fucking done, man. Packers are done. I, I think the Lions will still show a lot of fight, a lot of heart. I don't care what Aaron Rodgers has done in the past. His MVPs, his 13-win seasons, that shit is gone. It is way, way too far. So uh, no fucking way. I, I think that... Uh, the Detroit Lions are live in that game. So there you go. That's the upset of the week. Folks, that's going to do it. I've rambled on long enough. Uh, thank you guys once again for downloading, subscribing, liking, favoriting, commenting this podcast. Tune in to the SXM app. Remember, find me on social media at Jeff underscore Mans on Twitter. The Jeff Mans, all one word, Facebook. Instagram, Snapchat, and on TikTok. Hear me weekday afternoons, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Series XM Fantasy Sports Radio on Elite Sports. Look forward to seeing you guys and hearing from you there. Remember, get over to fantasyguru.com. Tell them you want the spooky 30 discount. Just tell them, man, says it's fine. You upgrade your account. You want NHL. Our NHL team is on fire. If you want to just print money and not think about or know anything about a sport, that's the way to go. Basketball is more challenging. So I think you have to be into that, but you can get them both for one upgrade. You upgrade MVP status or, or VIP status if you already have NFL. If not, you got to get with us for NFL. Folks, I'm fucking locked in. I'm locked in. NFL bets, DFS is always, you know, that's always a struggle. It's always a fight, but we always fucking win, don't we? Yeah, we do. So get in. Second half of the season's here. Spend the holidays with the Mafia. Santa Mans will be out during Christmas season. We'll have Thanksgiving, uh, all weekend of Thanksgiving festivities like we always do. It is a family. It is a community. It is a damn place of winners. Fantasyguru.com. Email them. Support at fantasyguru.com. Tell them I'm upgrading, but give me that 30% that Mans was talking about with a spooky 30 discount. And uh, lock it in, everybody. That will do it. Episode 135 in the books. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Go tell a friend if you enjoyed it. If not, uh, tell us. Let us know what you didn't like about this show. Remember, you may disagree with some or everything that you heard on today's program. And, folks, that is perfectly all right. You know why? We're not sensitive. And because it's just one man's opinion. See you next time, everybody. Deuces!